0: what's up everyone welcome to our live stream we are currently live on youtube and on rockfin thank you everybody for joining us today we have a very special uh, live stream where i am joined by two very special guests pulitzer prize winning journalist chris hedges and political comedian uh, lee camp thank you so much gentlemen for joining us today
1: sure thanks also i want a telly that's very important <laughs>
0: So we're, we're gonna we're gonna get right to it today. I'm not going to do, do a super long intro. Everybody's talking about what's happening in Ukraine. We don't need to get into uh, all the details because you both have, uh, I know a lot to say. And so I want to start off first by um, sharing um, an article from Chris Hedges, and we're gonna discuss some points that you made in that article. But today in general, we're going to be talking about Uh, the real reasons RT were shut down, the effects of U.S. sanctions that were recently slapped on Russia for its actions, military actions in Ukraine. And we're going to talk about, you know, the censoring of anti-war voices, just this fog of war that has consumed us all and distorted the realities on the ground. Um, And so that's what we're going to be talking about. So I am going to share my screen here really quick. Uh, Chris, you recently published an article uh, at ShearPost, which is called uh, The Chronicles of a War Foretold. And it warns, well, not, I guess it doesn't warn, but it, it goes over how NATO expansion uh, would provoke this kind of crisis in Ukraine. And I was really um, just amused by the first, I would say, first paragraph here. I'm going to read this out. Um, I was in Eastern Europe in 1989 reporting on the revolutions that overthrew the ossified communist dictatorships that led to the collapse of the Soviet Union. It was a time of hope. NATO, with the breakup of the Soviet empire, became obsolete. And President Mikhail uh, Gorbachev reached out to Washington and Europe to build a new security pact that would include Russia. Secretary of State James Baker in the Reagan administration, along with the West, um, West German foreign minister Hans Dietrich Genscher, probably pronouncing that incorrectly, assured the Soviet leader that if Germany was unified, NATO would not be extended beyond the new borders. So talk to us about, you know, what happened after this point, because clearly NATO uh, expanded eastward.
2: Right. So NATO was formed uh, uh, to prevent or build a kind of unified response between the United States and the European powers uh, to prevent a a Soviet advance. That was NATO's raison d'etre. So after the breakup of the Soviet Union and the uh, revolutions that took place in Eastern Europe, uh, there was real no, no real reason for NATO. I mean, the, all of us at the time there uh, thought NATO would be mothballed. Uh, and all of the policymakers, political leaders, everybody understood that it was foolish to expand NATO beyond the borders of Germany, that it was a needless provocation. What happened was, of course, the war industry, uh, which saw Eastern Europe as a multi-billion dollar bonanza, because if they could get these countries into the NATO alliance, they would have to uh, make their military equipment compatible with NATO standard and Soviet standard equipment is different. Uh, so, uh, so they pushed to expand NATO for commercial reasons, not for geopolitical reasons. So that promise, uh, which was made to Gorbachev, was broken. Then uh, as NATO expanded, Uh, the Clinton administration promised uh, the Russian leadership that they would not station NATO troops in Eastern Europe. Now we have thousands of NATO troops uh, in Eastern Europe, and there was a de facto uh, kind of recruitment of the Ukraine into NATO because they pumped so many Western weapons systems into the Ukraine. So uh, all of this was predictable. actually quote in one column I write on this uh, WikiLeaks cable uh, written out of Moscow that even talks about uh, the flashpoint being the Ukraine. So uh, that's why you know I take it uh, after Gabriel Garcia Marquez's great novel, Chronicle of the Death Foretold. Uh, this was completely predictable if you understood where Russia was coming from and we can't ignore the fact that uh, much of the Soviet Union was devastated by the Nazi invasion. This was uh, a, a, a living historical trauma uh, for the Russians in the century before, of course, Napoleon had done the same thing. So it was done for commercial interests, uh, it was incredibly irresponsible, it was incredibly foolish. Um, it was unnecessary, I'm not excusing, by the way, the invasion of Ukraine, preemptive war is a war crime. Uh, uh, they were baited, uh, and and but they pulled the trigger and it is their crime, but it was completely preventable, and that's the tragedy.
0: And I think for the last uh, six years or so, the United States has, you know, apart from just NATO expansion, has really been poking the bear. You know, you could say <laughs> poking the, the, you know, sure.
2: Because you need to create an enemy. I mean, Gorbachev was not much of an enemy. I mean, in fact, Gorbachev wanted a regional security agreement. But how do you justify that expansion and those arms sales unless you turn Russia? If Russia, even the early years of Putin he really wanted to build a working relationship with Washington and with Europe, uh, but that you need to demonize, you need to create an enemy, uh, and, and that's essentially what they did. They, uh, they treated Russia as an enemy, and it certainly was not, uh, and, in not and did not want to be become an enemy, uh, but they, they, they needed that as a justification. I mean, most of these countries, Poland and others, they're taking out tremendous loans uh, in order to buy, Poland just signed a $6 billion deal for M1 Abrams tanks. I mean, I was in Warsaw a couple years ago and there's billboards all over Warsaw for Raytheon because Raytheon is just milking the Polish people. So it, it is highly, highly irresponsible and um, you know has resulted in this war crime and this tragedy.
0: And we actually just published an article Um, on Mint Press News. It's written by our favorite scholar, Alan McLeod. He uh, did a study on all of the recent uh, coverage, um, I would say for the last uh, decade or so, and nearly 90% of all of the opinion pieces that were written in the New York Times, um, at the Wall Street Journal, and at the Washington Post were all written by uh, figures that worked for weapons manufacturers. Right. And these are the ones, these are the people that are pushing for a cold war with Russia. And they're clearly being funded by Lockheed Martin, by Raytheon, by Boeing, by General Dynamics. And some of them have you know, even worked directly with NATO or think tanks that are funded by NATO. So we're talking about um, a military-industrial complex right there uh, using the media as its official mouthpiece. Now, both of you gentlemen recently, you know, you you were working with RT, right? You were working with RT, and recently RT was removed off of the air in the United States. And so, Lee, I want to talk about, you know, your program that was recently removed off the air, redacted tonight, I mean, why would people like you turn to an an outlet like RT to work at?
1: Yeah, uh, and I'll get to that in one second. I just want to say what, it's not just removed off the air. The entire network shut down, RT America, and everyone was let go. Uh, essentially overnight. You know, one day they say everything's running fine. The next day, everything was over. And there were no hints of, hey, we might be back in two weeks or a month or a year. It is over, over. And to me, I don't know if Chris has a different opinion. To me, it seems like it must be connected to U.S. sanctions because there was no like slowdown or we'll just go back to RT News or whatever. It was just lights are out. Um, in terms of why I was there, and you know, I tried to make this clear from day one, eight years ago, we, we ultimately did eight years and 375 episodes, but I was there because I'm anti-war, I'm anti-imperialist, I'm anti-capitalist, and it's the only uh, network, large-scale network in essentially all of American media, or really all of American entertainment as well, where you can do that, those type of uh, issues, ha- tackle those type of issues, have those type of talking points. Uh, I wrote all of my own words the entire time. I was never told what to say. I was never told to not say anything. I was never censored. And it just serves as a stark contrast to all of the other networks where we can point to so many people that were canned or pushed out because they, were, they came out as anti-war. Uh, Phil Donahue was anti-war, the Iraq war. And he would, despite being the number one show on msnbc at the time was kicked out jesse ventura many people don't know was uh, gonna be a tent pole of msnbc they'd already signed the contract and then they found out he was anti-war in the lead up to iraq and he says they paid him upwards of 10 million dollars just to get out of his contract just to go away because wow. they didn't want anti-war talking points wow. on their airwaves and that's every other that's every other station and i i realize i'm mentioning news stations but that's that's the same with any of these, Comedy Central, NBC—it doesn't matter. There's no place where I could do my comedy show and have the freedom to tackle all these issues in the way I did.
0: Well, it's it's really interesting because you know we live in the United States and we are a bastion of democracy, right? I mean, that's what we're supposed <laughs> to be. <laughs> right. We're supposed to be a bastion of democracy, uh, a bastion of free speech, of First Amendment rights, and actually under the U.S. Constitution under our first amendment, the media is supposed to act as a watchdog to those in power. It's supposed to inform the public so that we, the people, um, can be better informed citizens. So when we go in at the voting polls, uh, we can elect representatives that represent us, but actually it's like completely flipped around. And I'm curious to know, uh, you know, Chris, how did the media become this way now to the point where You know people like us you know we have to either start our own media outlets which you know we're we're dealing with like major censorship and because of algorithm changes and you know the conflict of interest between the corporate state and the military industrial complex within social media and you know people like lee or you you or you have to go work at a foreign media outlet right so that you don't get censored and you can actually have editorial freedom. How did we get to this place where our media is a mouthpiece to the neoliberal uh, establishment and the military industrial complex?
2: Well, the the commercial or mainstream media has always been closely allied to the elites. That's not new. Uh, I think the difference is that uh, certainly if you go back to the 1960s, uh, there were far more alternative news outlets. And uh, I work for uh, Bob Shear's website, ShearPost. Uh, Bob was the editor of Ramparts magazine. And the alternative press, uh, I think like WikiLeaks, has always shamed the traditional press into doing their job. Uh, So the first reports of COINTELPRO were in Ramparts, the first time that picture, that iconic photo of the little girl, naked, running down a road, being burned by napalm. That was in Ramparts. Uh, the, the first uh, uh, you know, real investigations into the war were done by marginal news services, Lai, uh, uh, written by Cy Hirsch. So uh, that's always been the role of the uh, press, the, the, the alternative press, that is not constrained by commercial power. Uh, but it has gotten worse. Uh, because, uh, especially after Bill Clinton deregulated the FCC, you uh, essentially allowed a handful of corporations to seize control of the airwaves. Print has been decimated uh, because of the Internet. 40% of newspaper revenue came from classified ads. Once Craigslist came on, 40% of their revenue disappeared, and then because of the algorithms and the sophistication of the monitoring of social media, Uh, they don't need news organizations to connect sellers with buyers. That monopoly that news organizations had is gone. So um, all of that has seen a deterioration of the press, but I don't want to somehow pretend uh, that the press was, I'm talking about the mainstream press, was ever particularly good, as my friend uh, Sidney Schamburg once said, we may not have made things better. He, he was pushed out of the New York Times as I, by the way, uh, but you know we stop. We often stop things from getting worse. Uh, so that's always been uh, an issue. But now it's. I think the other difference I would also add is that because these news outlets, especially on the electronic media, are controlled by huge corporations, they look at that news. Uh, Division as just another revenue stream, and it competes with other revenue streams and the that's how you saw zucker destroy not that c n n was ever any good but turn it into a kind of burlesque it's i find it utterly unwatchable uh and uh but it's all was all about uh profits you know and it was turning he modeled it on e s p n you know everything became their team our team and that's also uh a change in the media landscape because uh, what what instead of having powerful outlets, the old networks CBS, NBC, trying to reach a wide demographic, you now have media outlets that cater to a particular demographic, uh, which is dangerous because they're feeding that demographic what it wants to hear, but they're also demonizing the opposing demographic, uh, and that Matt Taibbi does a good job of kind of explaining that in his book, book Hate Inc, where he has Rachel Maddow on one side of the cover and Sean Hannity. On the other, because they're they do the same thing.
0: And I want to talk about, you know, Lee Camp. You are by far one of the most important political comedians of our time. I would say people get more informed by your show at Redacted Tonight than they do from even several media outlets, you know, independent media outlets. You know, you are your shows are Thank usually you. very jam-packed with information, and the way you present them in this satirical format. Really, kind of gets people's brains going and thinking, and it kind of sticks with them. I mean, I know that I'm one of your biggest fans, and many people at Mint Press that, you know, watch or have watched Redacted Tonight um, would agree with that. I mean, how do you see just the climate of political uh, satire today? I mean, we have the rise of Trevor Noah. Um, Back in the day, we had, you know, people like Jon Stewart, but they're still very establishment, right? Yeah. So talking about like the the, the climate of political satire today.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, there aren't that many that are actually doing uh, kind of cutting political comedy to begin with. You know, as with Bush, there's a lot of comedians who have their five minutes of Trump jokes or their five minutes of Bush jokes. And to me, that's not a political comedian. That's just, you know, going with the trends of the time uh, to make a little Bush is dumb or Trump is dumb joke Uh, in terms of actually getting it kind of at the deeper issues. There, there aren't that many of those and many of them at the end of the day, you know, they're, they're going to uh, not critique the overall corporate American structure, the, the overall uh, ruling elite and, and how their power works. They're, they're not really going to get to the core of the issue. They're going to go into the, uh, you know, exact, exact thing that, that Chris was just talking about blue team, red team uh, dynamic. And, You know, very few of them, if any of them get deeper than that, Uh, you know, and and Trevor Noah is an interesting example because he comes from South Africa, where in I remember, you know, wondering, oh, who's replacing Jon Stewart? And in his opening uh, trailer for the new show, he talked about how, oh, you know, it's amazing to be here. I came from, uh, you know, my I lived in a house with a hole in the ground instead of a toilet. And now I'm hosting this TV show in America uh, or something like that. And I knew immediately I was like, well, if that's your perspective of American, you know, exceptionalism, if you came from poverty and you are now the millionaire in America, then you're not going to critique the the ruling elite in a a cutting manner. Uh, And sure enough, he hasn't. It's all surface level analysis. Uh, that, that never really gets at the heart of anything. And, you know, it, sadly, the, there's so much of political comedy or cultural commentary uh, comedy that's out there is that same stuff. Uh, you know, famously, Jon Stewart and, and Stephen Colbert, who, by the way, these are all talented comedians. You know, I think Jon Stewart and Colbert and John Oliver, great writers, great comedians. I don't think they're creating any kind of change or, or really exactly. informing people in a useful way, usually, uh, but they famously, uh, Colbert and, and and John Oliver was there too, but uh, John Stewart got together and created that rally for sanity on the mall where they brought uh, like a million people. I mean, it was a crazy number of mostly young people out to the mall that could have actually created an impressive amount of, uh, you know, action if it had led them in a, in a correct direction, you know, here's how we create change. Instead, the overall message of the entire day, which was hours long, was be nice to each other and go home it was you just get along and it it just blew my mind you know as an activist as someone who's who's tried to to be parts of movements that that really would create change to see these guys get so many people out to an event and say hey don't do anything go home and be nice and it was just like wow i guess at the end of the day that's what this is
0: Um, We are going to just take a quick like 20 second break to jump into our uh, super chat, just to thank everybody for joining us today and just to remind uh, our listeners to who are getting by the way a lot of positive comments um, for both uh, Chris and Lee. Thank you everybody who's joining us right now. Um, Just to reiterate for those looks like a lot of people are are actually still joining us. So uh, yes, I am Manar Adley (laughs) and I'm the founder and editor in chief of Press News and I'm joined by Uh, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist Chris Hedges and political comedian uh, Lee Camp. So please, if you can, uh, if you want to leave uh, your questions in the comments and we'll be taking them uh, very soon. I want to talk about the sanctions that are that have been slapped against um, Russia, which has is most likely the reason why RT America was shut down. Um, I'm just going to go to this really quick. So um, the sanctions that have taken place against Russia ha- has included removing Russia from SWIFT, uh, Visa and MasterCard to, to end all of their services in Russia. There was a famous photo showing people stuck at a subway because you know their cards were not working abruptly. Um, we even have corporations like Starbucks and McDonald's who have shut down hundreds of shops um, across Russia Um, But it's but it also appears that the sanctions could also be backfiring now as Russia is turning to China's like union pay and turning to China for more services. Um, And so I want to share something here about the uh, Hillary Clinton recently did an interview. I believe it was with Rachel Maddow. And I'm just going to share this clip really quick about the intentions of what the United States uh, would like to see happen because of sanctions. Okay, I don't know if you guys saw this, but I'm going to share it right now. Um, Hold on, where did it go? Oh, here it is. whoops it disappeared
2: on us that is a possible way out that is a possible way out if the ukrainians with our help uh can hmm. impose enough economic pain on can you guys uh, hear it or no sadly yeah. the russian people, you can hear it uh, yeah. combined okay. with providing weapons that that might be the only way that right now i can see us getting to a stalemate uh that might save the ukrainian people from even greater uh tragedy
0: that is a possible way okay out. i if could not ukrainian- hear it but i have a little transcript here from this is from anya parampil's uh twitter I, page
1: i i can sum it up she said a possible oh, way out A possible way out is to create so much pain and suffering that russia would back down from economic sanctions or something but yeah i mean in, I mean, in my, in yeah. my opinion, it's it's disgusting. I mean, to to go to a a war hawk, a war monger, a war criminal, and she basically wants the average citizens in Ukraine to try and fight off the Russian military, which is not going to work, and it's just going to elongate this thing, which is what the U.S. wants. The U.S. wants, in my opinion, or what I've seen, uh, wants to uh, use basically Ukrainians as cannon fodder to uh, to harm Russia.
0: Well, and clearly, I mean, the fact that we have Hillary Clinton, who's like one of the architects of the current crisis that we're seeing today um, in uh, Ukraine, Um, she's basically saying, like you said, uh, she wants to impose economic pain on Putin. And sadly, I mean, just she's just saying the 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 this part out loud, the Russian people in response to the Ukraine conflict. And so we're seeing now in real time all of the the truth coming out about the effects of sanctions you know for so long sanctions have always been sold as a non-violent form to you know to punish a certain person or a corporation or an entity whatever it may be for the actions of a government and people for a long time would support it because they would believe that sanctions wouldn't actually hurt the people but like we saw in iraq where the famous interview of Madeleine Albright, where you know, she says the price is worth it after she was interviewed about 500,000 Iraqi children dying because of US sanctions. Um, Chris, you have been a war correspondent. Um, you've traveled around the world. I mean, you've seen, I'm you know, assuming the effects of sanctions and you probably reported on them as well. What do you, what do you foresee like hap- that will happen because of these sanctions against Russia? Well, and, and will they backfire? Because I think that's a question people have right now.
2: Right. Well, these sanctions are clearly designed to destroy Putin's government. That, it's not, that's the goal. That's why they're so draconian. Uh, I don't actually oppose sanctions. Um, but uh, what I think frustrates me is that when we carry out preemptive war, which under post-Nuremberg laws is a criminal war of aggression, uh, and our war was carried out under lies and fabricated evidence on Iraq. Uh, those who are responsible for this criminal activity never pay a price. So, okay, you want to put sanctions on the Russian banks? Well, then there should be sanctions on Citibank, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, and everyone else. Uh, you want to put visa restrictions on political leaders? Fine. Uh, but they've got to go on ours. Uh, you want to seize the yachts of oligarchs. Bezos has the largest yacht in the world, $500 million it costs. Uh, it's like 57 feet longer than a football field. Sees his yacht. I mean, the, our oligarchs are no less venal than Russian oligarchs. So it's the incredible hypocrisy. Uh, and you're never going to create a world based around the rule of law when uh, it's so lopsided. Uh, and I wrote a column, you know, about this called Worthy and Unworthy Victims, taken from Chomsky and Herman's book, Manufacturing Consent. That's what always happens in war. Uh, so, I mean, that that's my frustration. Uh, I, I think that Putin made a terrible mistake. I think that if he had gone into the separatist re- regions, and many of the Russian speakers in Ukraine have very legitimate grievances, and he'd stopped... Uh, he probably could have made a case. Where the mistake was trying to take over the country, um, and you know, and, and the kind of war crimes that become inevitable when you're using industrial weapons in urban centers, no matter who uses them. Uh, he hasn't yet done shock and awe like we did—three you know, thousand uh, bombs, and I don't know, I can't remember, you know, how long, but you know, seven thousand dead in two months. He hadn't done that yet, uh, but as he becomes frustrated that you know he will that's inevitably what happens in war. So um I I was opposed to the Iraqi sanctions uh because the sanctions uh blocked medical supplies. I mean they blocked things like that that people and you and you would go into hospitals in Iraq and people didn't have even basic uh medicine or or drugs or anesthesia or anything else. That was just criminal. Uh, so I think sanctions against banks or sanctions, I mean, one of the th- sanctions uh, that was imposed on Iraq that did work was blocking spare parts for the Iraq military, but that made the war even more criminal because uh, most of Saddam Hussein's equipment didn't even work uh, because of the sanctions. So um, uh,
0: yeah. And, I mean, we're, and, we're, and we're seeing that actually in Venezuela, I mean, I just traveled yeah. to Venezuela yeah. and Half of their like mining equipment doesn't even not even half. Most of it doesn't even work properly because. Well, I would
2: say that raising the price of oil is pretty good for Venezuela. Yeah, I mean, well, they're finally digging themselves out of it. Well,
1: Well, the U.S. just just sent a delegation down there to meet with Maduro to try and get Venezuelan oil, oil, which is hilarious considering supposedly Maduro is not the president according to the U.S.
2: I think they said they're not going to sell him any.
0: Well, and I think this is a big question that people have is, are these sanctions going to backfire? Because we're kind of seeing like we're kind of starting to see that kind of uh, narrative, at least coming from the Russian side. And so what do you guys think about this? I mean, either one of you could answer
2: this. I I wanted to say they're not judicious. They're clearly designed to destroy Putin. And that's dangerous. Uh, So they should have been more judicious. Um, I'm, I'm certain RT. Was taken down, but they've long wanted to take down RT. Yeah. Uh, you go back to the 2017 Director of National Intelligence report, and there's about seven pages in there on RT, and they're not uh, whining about Russian propaganda. They're complaining that RT gives a voice to uh, Black Lives Matter activists, and third party candidates, and anti-fracking activists, and this kind of stuff. And, that, and, and I think that the anger, and I watched Clapper's testimony, and it's not just his words, but his rage, is because we're calling out these elites uh, for their hypocrisy, their cynicism, their mendacity, their corruption. That's why. Uh, So this gave uh, the deep state the excuse to shut it down. It's kind of ridiculous because RT had a very tiny media footprint. It's not like we were uh, reaching particularly large numbers of the American public. but you know that that that's. We, well, first of all, since prop or not, this was the anonymous website that charged left-wing sites. Maybe Mint News was on it. Would be in Russian propaganda. It was crazy. Uh, and then we got we all got hit with algorithms. So the IT people at Truthdig, where I was before we all went on strike and got fired, um, uh, ran uh, graph on referrals from impressions. So that means that if you went to Google and you typed in imperialism and I'd written something on imperialism recently it would come up with anything else. And uh, those referrals dropped in 12 month period from over 700,000 to below 200,000. And then Lee will tell you, I mean, our, my average, sometimes it was higher, but my average viewership on YouTube was like 40 or 50,000 a show. That got cut in half with wow. the algorithms.
0: Um, I think everybody, everybody, everybody on the left and anti-war, from the anti-war movement, felt that, including press. I mean, we used to be at the top of Google News when you when you'd search anything about Syria, Libya, NATO. Just like you said, now yeah. we're on page three. Yeah. Of so Google that News. I
2: mean, it's part of a process, and they're not yeah. going to stop with RT. Uh, right. They're not done. Yeah,
0: they
1: they have they have definitely not stopped with with RT, and I, I see this as a. Uh, you know, couple of decades long path where the internet eventually got fast enough, and in every home, and the social media platforms got good enough that information could be shared very quickly, and there was this sweet spot, you know, but, uh, but to make up years between about you know twenty ten and uh, twenty fifteen or something, where where these ideas, I, you know, anti-imperialist ideas, anti-war, etc., cetera, uh, could be shared quickly and easily and created large scale movements like Occupy and like uh, Bernie Sanders movement and uh, Arab Spring and all these things. And the ruling elite realized the the messaging was getting out of control. It, it, it really, they lost control of it. And now they've spent Five years kind of crushing it all back down, deleting pages, suppressing the algorithms in a very large way. Uh, You know, often cross platform uh, uh, censorship. In the span of three days last week, I lost my TV show. All the redacted night clips are banned in uh, Europe and and UK. And my podcast was uh, deleted from Spotify. And, you know, in in the past, we've seen uh, Facebook purged 800 pages in one day, including things like Free Thought Project, Police the Police, Antiwar.com, etc. And instantaneously, the the editors' Twitters were suspended at the same time, meaning there had to be coordination between Facebook and Twitter, who are supposedly enemies or or rivals, uh, coordination to do such a thing. So, yeah, the very large-scale suppression that's been going on for several years to try and regain control of the messaging.
2: And I just want to say that, you know, there's a collaboration with traditional media outlets. So it's not just blocking or marginalizing alternative viewpoints. It's funneling people back into the arms of The New York Times, The Washington Post, uh, CNN, MSNBC uh, with this, uh, you know, supposed uh, because they're supposedly reputable and fair and objective and, uh, you know, I'm sure, Menar, you heard the uh, um, the, uh, what the what was that podcast called the, with the with the guy who was a complete fraud at the time? Alex Jones. Caliput
1: was it called? No, they uh, did
2: the ten part series with somebody who was like supposedly part of ISIS and like. Oh,
1: oh, yeah, it was part of the New York Times, but I yeah, don't remember the name. Yeah, yeah. podcast. It was amazing. Uh, yeah.
2: Well, oh, we, is that,
0: Ab, is that Abdul, Abdul something? I forgot his name. Yeah, I,
2: remember name, but, <laughs> I don't remember his name, uh, but. Exactly.
0: I think I know who you're talking about.
2: Right. So, I mean, it was a complete hoax.
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: Russiagate. I mean, there you go. Two years of that. Uh, weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. So, uh, that, you know, the idea that somehow these large media institutions uh, are, are not uh, capable of disseminating. Mm-hmm. Uh, misinformation, just is not borne out by the facts. Um, and so, yeah, there is a a kind of really a dirty marriage now between the censors in Silicon Valley and uh, the traditional media outlets, who I think are also threatened in the way that's why they're going after Julian Assange. I mean, they were threatened by WikiLeaks. Uh, they had to publish the material because if they didn't, they would have been exposed for who they are. But as soon as they did publish that material, they all uh, colluded in going after demonizing Julian, uh, the very media organizations that had used his material. So I think we're watching the kind of the walls close in. I think it's very frightening, um, especially uh, as the ruling elites have less and less credibility. Nobody is addressing the very real suffering on the part of the working class and the working poor. In fact, things of course are getting worse, not just with inflation, Uh, but uh, with the uh, severance of those few programs that kind of kept people going, child tax credits, uh, supplementing uh, welfare payments, uh, moratorium on evictions and foreclosures, uh, uh, moratorium on student loan payments. So um, uh, as things deteriorate, as the oligarchy consolidates ever more wealth to itself, and we've never seen anything like this in American history. I mean, uh, when I think David Rockefeller died, he was worth about $3 billion. Uh, even the worst kleptocrats, uh, Melda uh, uh, Ferdinand and uh, and uh, Melda Marcos, uh, they stole, I think, about $10 billion. And, uh, I mean, we now have figures like uh, Elon Musk and uh, Bezos over $180 million. I mean, this is insane. Uh, and that kind of consolidation, by the way, the inability on the system now to check it in any way and respond to the real needs of the American public means that this kind of censorship uh, will become more present uh, and, and wider.
0: And I think, I mean, I agree with you that it does feel like the walls are closing in because now our access to information, like it just, it just feels so bleak. I mean, they're cracking down on everything. And a lot of times, Uh, The thing that they're cracking down on, like that that they're referring to as misinformation, like in a couple of years, that kind of information comes out and it turns out to be true because of like FOIA requests or something like that. And we've seen that taking place. I mean, even like with the war in Syria, I mean, Mint Press was one of the first independent small media organizations that reported on um, how uh, Al Qaeda was being split, and I, you know, ISIS was moving into Syria and their agenda to create this caliphate. You know, this. And I remember at that time we were reporting on how U.S. weapons were basically landing in their hands, and they were acting as a proxy for U.S. interests in the I, region.
2: We were ar- arming the moderate rebels. I've been in war. To, to
0: exactly, moderate. exactly. So,
2: Are saying I'm moderate? I mean, it's insane. Well, of course, Al Qaeda, which was getting shellac in Iraq crossed the border as fast as they could, and uh, truckloads of weapons were handed. It was the most ridiculous policy, you know, aside from the criminal nature of it. Uh, uh, And, you know, so you had, uh, I mean, just the the whole, you look at the whole 20-year period, uh, it was completely upended. I mean, uh, uh, you know, so at one point, uh, Hezbollah forces were, of course, fighting uh, for the Syrians, and then we decided we have to go, had to go after the Caliphate. So we were really literally working as Hezbollah's air force. I mean, it just was nuts, and none of it makes any sense. It was total chaos, uh, but it it did what it was designed to do, which is make these weapons companies rich. Uh, and of course, once the war in the Ukraine started, uh, their stocks, which had taken a hit after they left Afghanistan, and they were publicly complaining about it. Shot upwards again, and if you know we're not going to go to war with Russia, then uh, they'll stoke the tension with China. I mean, it's just and and at this point, the political class is so beholden uh, to these incredibly wealthy corporations uh, that uh, they'll be rolled over. I mean, any sane politician or diplomat would have never expanded NATO ever, Uh, and and I and those of us who were there in '89 it didn't even occur to us that they would. It didn't make any sense. Well, of course, it doesn't make any sense unless you're trying to make money.
0: Right. And I just want to remind everybody um, who are watching us today, we are taking super chat. So if you want to add your comments, if you want to add uh, your questions, we'll be taking them at the very end of this live stream. And we really appreciate everybody who has joined us today. And I just want to remind everyone too that Mint Press has featured live streams and podcasts on this subject where we've had people with differing opinions and analysis on the situation. And we welcome that on our platform because, you know, (laughs) we want to encourage healthy dialogue and analysis about this subject matter. Um, And so um, I just want to share the screen right now about an article that was published on our website uh, a few years ago you know, we just want to talk about moderate rules here. This article was published um, on our website in 2018. It was written by by Max Blumenthal, and he basically chronicled and, you know, investigated how the United States was arming uh, Nazis in Ukraine after the Maiden uh, uprising there. And and how this is actually a huge blowback. I mean, the article is titled Blowback, an inside look at how U.S.-funded fascists in Ukraine um, will be, you know, are mentoring U.S. white supremacists at home. So um, not only mm-hmm. are white supremacists from across the West flocking to Ukraine to learn from the combat experience of their fascist brothers in arms, they are doing so openly under the nose of a shrugging law enforcement Chronicling their experiences on social media before they bring their lessons uh, back home, and so we're kind of seeing the same playbook play out here in Ukraine, where the United States, after the 2014 uh, maiden coup that was, you know, orchestrated by Vic- people like Victoria Newland and Joe Biden himself, self, and under the Obama administration, the United States basically began sending arms to. Uh, Nazis like the Azov Battalion um inside Ukraine. And so this is almost like we're seeing the same playbook uh take place um from uh what we saw in Syria, what we saw in Libya, where the United States, you know, directly armed uh groups uh, indirectly and directly from al Nusra Front, which at one point al Nusra Front was an offshoot of Al-Qaeda. I mean, it still is an offshoot of Al-Qaeda, but at one point it was designated as a terror organization by the U.S. State Department. And politicians that uh, wanted to overthrow the Assad government were basically saying that they wanted to remove Al-Nusra Front from the uh, terror watch list. Okay, These are people that like are famous for blowing themselves up, for cutting people's heads off. Um, for pushing a Wahhabi, Salafist, you know, political ideology um, onto the people as their version of Islam. And so now we're seeing this take place um, in Ukraine. I mean, Lee, you've been covering this kind of stuff for a long time. I mean, can you compare like media coverage that you've seen when it comes to like the wars in Syria to now the war in Ukraine, where these neo-Nazis are now being whitewashed by our media?
1: and 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 not just Syria, but you know recall the the New York Times front page with Osama bin Laden on it from the <laughs> 1980s the the freedom fighter Osama bin Laden uh, yeah this is uh this is an old old strategy that uh, always works great for us, uh, you know funding and arming, uh radical uh insane <laughs> not this, this time Nazis. Um, just the other day, p b s did an interview with the mayor of one of the cities. And behind him uh was a, a framed portrait of a well known Nazi. And so they blurted out uh because they didn't want people to realize that they were basically doing a, you know, a hero piece on a, a Nazi affiliated mayor, uh to put it lightly. Um but yeah, they well, these things always have blowback and they always are catastrophic, except it depends on how cynical you want to be. The U.S. wants to create failed states. Right now, they want Ukraine to be a failed state that the, r- Russia endlessly has to deal with and, and is bogged down economically and otherwise uh, for a long time. They don't want peace tomorrow. They want this to continue. And, you know, they wanted Iraq and Afghanistan and Syria to largely become failed states or, or at least U.S. Or, or furthermore, U.S.-run states. But I guess failed states will do the trick um and so yes there is blowback but in many ways these these you know military industrial complex goons who come up with these plans uh get what they want they 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 get uh, states that are not a threat largely to us military power and sometimes they fully get a us puppet government in there but yeah that it, it it yes there's blowback but often this uh this awful technique works in a certain sense uh, of course, that is if you don't care at all about innocent civilians or or, or people getting killed left and right.
0: Um, I want to share uh, another article here. Uh, I was just telling Chris about this before we went live. It's actually from the Atlantic Council, and this is the most ridiculous, you know, piece of propaganda that I have seen in a very long. I mean, obviously, we're surrounded by propaganda every single day, but this like just takes things to the next level here. We have an article from the Atlantic Council. We have to remember the Atlantic Council is funded by NATO. It's funded by Israel. It's funded by Saudi Arabia. It's funded by a lot of democratic uh, political leaders, um, you know, tied to Hillary Clinton. And so it's a very, it's very much a neoliberal uh, think tank that promotes war. It's in partnership, it works in partnership with um, Facebook to crack down on so called fake news. And they recently, just February 24th, you can see the date right here, February 24th um, from 2020. This was, you know, just like a year or a year and a half before, or almost two years, I guess I should say, before the United States uh, provoked this current crisis in Ukraine. They're arguing why Azov, the Nazi battalion, should not be designated a foreign terrorist organization. And they just go on to talk about how... uh, this is basically a paramilitary unit <laughs> as part of the Special Operations Detachment, um, as part of the National Guard in Ukraine. And so I think everybody should just check this out more for just you know informing themselves and just seeing kind of the way that these think tanks um, portray certain terror groups. And I just wanna share one more really quick. Um, where did it go? this is a video where is my video i think we lost the video it's a video of um Azov. i think i lost the video but i think everybody has probably seen it i can't find it i think i accidentally clicked out of it but it's uh, a video that went viral it was from the national guards official ukraine's official uh uh, National Guard Twitter page of these Azov battalion fighters that are part of the National Guard Just This was just like a week and a half ago They're dipping their bullets in pork, in pork fat And in the, in the video they're saying how they're getting ready to fight Muslims <laughs> And so it was a very Islamophobic uh, 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 video um, But it just portrayed that the kind of thinking that's behind this people and should we really really be surprised that the United States is now supporting this white supremacist uh, kind of establishment in Ukraine when we saw the media uh, in the way that it has completely dehumanized the victims of U.S. wars for the last you know, several decades um, because they're brown, because they're Muslim, Uh, when we saw the famous clips of the famous CBS reporter who said that, you know, we would never hope that this would happen in Ukraine because, you know, they're European, right? And so, Chris, I mean, I know that you have a lot of experience covering war. I mean, how are you seeing like racism right now play in this whole crisis and conflict?
2: Well, the flip side of nationalism is always racism. So uh, look at, the wars in the Middle East, uh, the, the racism was rampant, especially if you were with uh, soldiers and Marines as I was, they uh, would call uh, Iraqis or you know anyone in the Middle East, the sand end and ragheads and haji, which is a term of respect in Arabic, but they would use it as a term, a derogatory term. Uh, so racism is always, you dehumanize the opponent Uh, it's easier to do when they're not white. Uh, And I think we are seeing a great deal of racism in terms of the outpouring of empathy. I mean, what about Yemen? I mean, Yemenis are enduring hell on earth uh, that uh, certainly probably more than rivals, but Ukrainians are enduring. I don't want to take away in any way the suffering of the Ukrainians. Uh, What about Palestinians? Uh, What about their heroic resistance? Uh, So the hypocrisy is uh, especially if you live, as I did, 20 years overseas, just flagrant. In terms of fascism, we as soon as the minute World War II was over, we embraced the, the, the SS and the fascists. I mean, Reinhard Galen, who had been the Wehrmacht's Foreign Army's East Military Intelligence Chief, was immediately recruited by the CIA, and he was a founding member of the Federal Intelligence Service of West Germany during the Cold War. He brought in hundreds of Nazis. I mean, a lot of the people who made it uh, through the rat line, uh, including Klaus Barbie. I lived in Cochabamba, Bolivia. He was known as Klaus Altmann, but we all knew who he was. I used to see him with his bodyguards uh, and think, oh my God, that's the guy who tortured to death, Jean Moulin. He, He was funneled out because of his services to the U.S. And the United States set up a series of black sites Uh, many of them in Europe in the, you know, hysteria of the, you know, Cold War and communism, where all sorts of dissidents and labor leaders and were tortured and killed. Uh, And this was the active participation of former SS and Nazis. So, uh, you know, that there is a kind of natural affinity for neo-Nazi groups in the Ukraine shouldn't be any surprise. We have a long history of Embracing fascists.
0: Um, we're going to be taking some questions from the super chat right now. Um, and so uh, I'm going to read out a, a couple of questions and we can see where we can go so that we can wrap up the discussion here. And I really appreciate both appreciate both of you for giving and providing us with your insight. Um, so I think one of the biggest questions on people's minds right now is, are there any predictions on potential geopolitical realignment on a global scale? Does, cut off, um, does cutting off the EU from Russian energy give the U.S. what they need to stay on top?
2: We can't, I you can't know. talk about war if you don't talk about markets. <laughs> and the U.S. wants, thats they're salivating at the thought of forcing the Europeans to buy their quote-unquote natural gas. Which the Europeans don't want to do because it's a lot more expensive than Russian natural gas. So yes, of course, that's a huge impetus. Uh, the other, the thing that disturbs me the most is pumping in uh, hundreds of millions of dollars of weaponry to the Ukraine. So there, and this has happened in Georgia. And, uh, they, they're not, uh, they're, they're not going to uh, fight on behalf of the Ukrainians, but they will. Uh, you know, arm the Ukrainians so that the you know, and create piles of corpses. Well, this makes any kind of ceasefire or diplomatic solution extremely difficult. Uh, and so they, it's you go back and look at uh, what the CIA did uh, with the Soviet uh, occupation of Afghanistan. I mean, in many ways, they lured the Soviets into Afghanistan, and then we created the Taliban. We funded Osama bin Laden, of course. It's a very similar kind of technique to create a constant war, failed state, as you mentioned, uh, force Russia to bleed and, and pay for it with Ukrainian lives. I, one of my gut reaction watching this uh, is I, I have also have a great deal of uh, anger, I suppose, at the Ukrainian government for handing out weapons to people who don't know how to use them. Um, That's just setting them up to be slaughtered. I covered uh, the war in Kosovo. I was in northern Albania with the Kosovo Liberation Army. Had all these Albanian kids coming in from where they worked as like cooks or something in Munich. And they give them an AK-47. They give them like two days of cursory training and then send them over the mountains. I went with them, 600 of them. Uh, And they were just wiped out by the Serbs who were professional military unit. So, you know, that bothers me. That That's irresponsible, telling mothers to make Molotov cocktails. I mean, they love to play that on the media because it's kind of dramatic and heroic, uh, but I, I don't like it. So I worry that um, the goal of the West is to perpetuate uh, a kind of military quagmire, they don't care what the cost to
0: the Ukrainians is going to be. Well, yeah. Isn't that what we, isn't that what we do best? I mean, look at what happened in Libya. I mean, it turned into a failed state yep. after the U.S. after the US and NATO overthrew the Gaddafi government and Syria who was devastated. Yemen is just I mean, it's the world's worst humanitarian crisis. It's just such a horrible horrible state. I mean, that that, that to me seems like the good old fashioned divide and conquer, fragment, um, and Balkanize and just keep people pitted against each other and flood countries with weapons. We saw that in Sudan, we saw that in so many countries, as you know, I mean, it just seems like that is the goal, you know, that's what yeah. they want to have. And, and ahead, I Lee. think
1: it's what they want to happen. And I think in the larger sense, you know, the, the U S is a waning empire. We're in late state capitalism, yeah. where we're up against a, a greatly uh, gaining economic system in in China connected to Russia. And, and so we need to find these things to separate the world because otherwise we lose our global empire which of course in a rational uh acting state would be okay you just uh, decrease your your military bases around the world decrease your economy but no of course this that's that's unthinkable it's about continuing to maintain uh global supremacy and, you know, this is this right. is useful to the U.S. right now. And they're they're hoping to, you know, like Chris said, it's it's going to be Ukrainian people used as cannon fodder to uh, just give Russia a, a quagmire there. Um, and I do think there could be some uh, some unintended consequences of all these uh, the sanctions, economic war. Uh, you know, there some like uh, UN, former U.N. weapons inspector Scott Ritter, when I talked to him, said that yeah. once Russia cuts off the oil spigot to to Europe, even though, uh, the U S will offer some, uh, it's going to just have crazy ramifications that their economies are going to tank across Europe. And it's, you know, who, who knows what the consequences long-term of that can be. Uh, there's going to be a lot of ramifications to this and the U S doesn't seem to be thinking beyond just, uh, you know, we want to have a war on Russia's border that they have to deal with.
0: Well, it seems like there's a larger uh, agenda here, like both of you have alluded to. Um, This is a tweet from Benjamin Norton. He interviews uh, economist Michael Hudson all the time, who I I follow and read some of his work. And he has long argued, according to this tweet here, that the U.S. war on Russia was actually a U.S. war on Europe to keep the EU subordinated to U.S. capital. And I think, Chris, you said it best, like we're seeing uh late stage late stage capitalism you know it's it's a dying empire and the us is doing whatever it can it's like you know it's like a toddler on a on a tantrum <laughs> you know i have a four year old when he goes on a tantrum he he'll, he'll get whatever he wants and that's kind of what it seems like you know we're we're seeing right now a very dangerous toddler of course uh, with weapons and uh with nuclear weapons uh, so it, that's what it really seems like is happening, is that we're we're just kind of, these are our last resort efforts to uh, keep ourselves alive and moving forward. And it's at the cost of um, people's lives overseas. And of course, this is going to, and that's why there's such um, an aggressive, I, would, I mean, I definitely would call it aggressive effort to control the narrative. And that's why we're seeing such a fog of war. We're seeing social media tech giants cracking down on, um, you know, so-called misinformation, and and obviously that's just a guise to crack down on any sort of alternative information, any information that challenges um, the status quo. Um, Let's see here, we have another question um, that we're going to answer here from our viewers that have joined us. Uh, Chris and Lee so either one of you guys can can answer this um, can you tell us about the recent revelations about the biological weapons and research facilities found in Ukraine now that now that we have Victoria Newland basically admitting that for what what they called as fake news and Russian propaganda for so long now we have Victoria Newland uh, famously admitting and if you guys don't mind can I can I play her clip of her admitting that do you guys mind? No. Okay, I have it right here. One second. I'm going to just pull it up. Um, So bear with me here for just one second. Oops, that's not working. So I'm just going to scroll down to this other one. Here it is. We're gonna share the screen, bear with me. I don't, I'm always slow when I wanna share my screen. So let's see here, here it is. So before we answer this question here is Victoria Newland basically admitting and just just to point this out, Deliana Gaitseva I don't know how to pronounce her last name. So please excuse me, but she is um, the founder of Arms Watch and she's a very well uh, researched journalist who was smeared for like over six years um for basically reporting on this you know pentagon funded bioweapons program in Ukraine and in 25 other countries so here's the video pro love so we are working with the ukrainians on how they can prevent any of those you guys can hear, right? research yeah. materials from falling into the hands of uh russian forces should they approach
2: I- I'm sure you're aware that the russian propaganda
0: So there we have it straight from Victoria Newland's uh, mouth there <laughs> and either one of you can answer that question about um,
1: i I mean you know, I, why, I, I know and, they exist but I, I don't know anything yeah. beyond that
0: I mean does this I mean right now the United States is uh, warning that Russia could use chemical weapons uh, in Ukraine and they would come I believe they said from this BioLab, right? Is that what we're reading? Well, well, Chris, e- you-
1: either way this could be the same kind of false flag we saw with the Syria yeah. chemical weapons which, you know, four OPCW w whistleblowers have now come forward and said their reports were changed uh and and you know, you just you just announce oh Syria, you know, that'll be a red line if Syria uses chemical weapons. Oh, here's a photo of a chemical weapon on the ground. It was clearly them and then you can do what you want. And it seems, you know, maybe the US is trying to set up that same garbage
2: I am very I'm very reticent. I mean, I haven't covered war for so long. I don't believe any side because disinformation is a crucial component of war. All, everyone does it. Uh you know, uh the Russians do it, we do it. So I really came to a point where I unbel- if I can't see it, I don't believe it. Uh and I'm sure that this story is not quite as cut and dry as Victoria Nuland uh has a pretty dirty track record. Um uh, is making it.
0: So I believe the revelations, though, were also uh, revealed from uh, the Pentagon's uh, website. And there's another interview where Deliana is actually interviewing a member of the EU, where they said that uh, you know that these labs do exist, but they wouldn't admit what was being oh, researched.
2: I think it is documented the labs exist, and I think that's fascinating yeah. and terrifying. But going beyond there as to, you know, is Putin going to use them or that that gets kind of murky. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, every statement now about Russia uh, is designed not to impart truth, but to foster fear and to demonize Putin. That's you have to everything they say has only those two goals, whether it's true or not to them is irrelevant.
0: Okay, we're gonna take just two more questions and we'll try to keep this um, as brief as possible. And Again, we really appreciate everybody sending us these questions. And just a reminder that you can support our work by becoming a member on our on our Patreon. And we always appreciate, of course, tips while we're doing the, the live streams. Um, so we're gonna take this question. It's after the dust settles from self-inflicted economic disaster, Will the EU survive and stay intact, or do you think there will be any sort of balkanization vulcaniza- and any sort of independence from the US?
2: I would say the danger is swift. I mean, if, so they're pushing Russia out of swift. Russia's economy is not that big, by the way, it's quite small, um, it, you know, it's, uh, both, and its military, by the way, isn't very big either, uh, compared to the US. So, uh, But the interesting thing for me is how self-defeating it is to block countries. You already have Iran, Cuba, uh, and if enough in this kind of multipolar world uh, allied with China can uh, sever themselves from SWIFT, which is the international money exchange system which uses the U.S. dollar as the reserve currency, that is the death blow to the American empire, as we saw when the pound sterling which was the reserves currency, was dropped in the 1950s, then not only does the dollar decline by, who knows, uh, half, two-thirds, I mean, a lot, but people don't want to buy our treasury bonds. In short, they don't want to buy our debt. And we funded all these wars through debt. We fund the government through debt. uh, And that is, that's what's interesting by pressuring, putting more pressure, and Putin and the Russians have already tried as much as possible to distance themselves from Swift. Uh, But cutting them off from Swift, of course, makes that even more dramatic. So I think that's very interesting. Alfred McCoy has written quite a bit on this. um, And and that's what interests me. So it may be very self-defeating, ultimately, on the part of the United States. Uh, What will it do to Europe? Um, uh, Well, I, I think you raised it. I mean, if oil prices go through the roof, uh, of course, there's going to be a massive economic slowdown which polit- will have political consequences in that will further strengthen the proto-fascists in not only in countries like Poland and Hungary, but you have pro you know proto-fascist movements in France, so Le Pen and uh, Germany and everywhere else.
0: So I want to wrap up with just one final question. Um, and this is about uh, independent media. We have people actually multiple people have asked in the super chat, what is the future of independent anti-war journalism? Why are all the journalists uh, working alone instead of collaborating with each other and building an anti-war platform? Lee, did you want to talk about that? Uh, hey, what, do, what, do you the, the, what do you think? The future is? The
1: future of anti-war journalism? I'm going to start using smoke signals. And uh, <laughs> since all my platforms have been deleted or, or suppressed, I'm going to just do my show out on the sidewalk with a tin can. So I think that might be the future for me. Um, no, I, I I did create a Patreon.com uh, slash Lee Camp to try and uh, keep something going. But in terms of uh, why aren't they working together, I mean, there are some effort, efforts to work together. Uh, I and Eleanor Goldfield created RadIndyMedia.com, uh, which is not a money-making site. There's no sponsors. There's no ads. It just uh, takes together, aggregates a, a bunch of great independent media. Uh, Mint Press is on there all the time. Chris Hedges is on there all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and it links directly to their sites and their videos, so it's not stealing any of their clicks. Um, and the goal is to, was kind of twofold. One is that people could have this great uh, uh, morning digital newspaper that has all of the best uh, independent media from the day before or earlier. And the uh, reason number two was if any of these journalists get uh, suppressed or get their platforms deleted. There will still be a place that you can go and find all of their work. Now, when I was working to create it, I didn't think it'd be me, but here we are. Uh, so, yeah, I I do try and work together, but I agree there there should be a a wonderful new and amazing uh, anti-war platform that Minar, you're going to create any
2: minute. Well, <laughs> I mean, Bob Shear when we all had to leave Truthdig, which was funded by an heiress. Uh, who turned against us not a surprise when we tried to unionize um <laughs> so uh you know now bob is running sheer post but it, you know he didn't have any money uh and uh you know what i'm doing is working now to set up a Substack uh account which hopefully if with enough subscribers will allow me to continue what i've been doing which is to write a weekly column for ShearPost and produce a show, uh, continue to produce a show. The show that I did on RT used to be on Telesource. So I would like to continue it. But there are less and less models now for independent journalism. And you see uh, all these uh, calls uh, to shut down Substack, which is probably next. So, I mean, I can, you know, it's kind of this creeping censorship Uh, And, you know, we battle back as best we can, uh, and we try, you know, with each blow to find a way to sustain our work and its integrity, Uh, but it's certainly becoming more and more difficult, and it's it's frightening. And and I think that, as I said earlier, that the goal is really uh, to uh, essentially shut most of us down. I mean, just the fact that I support BDS, which I do very strongly— uh, I spent a lot of time in Gaza, uh, alone, uh, that, that single issue alone, that's why my-
0: You were censored before because of oh, that I, support, right? All
2: sorts of, I mean, I you know, yeah. invitation to speak of the University of Pennsylvania, they rescinded it. Oh, well, because all the Hillel houses are just outposts of AIPAC, and uh, I mean, Oberlin, all sorts of colleges, and they tar you with being an anti-Semite, which of course I'm not, um, uh, but it's vicious, and uh but to take any kind of a stand like that. Uh and that's why Cornell West was pushed out of Harvard. Yeah. Uh why well, they would not give him tenure because he also supports PDS. Uh so yeah, the walls are closing in, we're doing the best we can. Um uh you know, for now for me the model will be Substack. Uh, you know, I don't need a lot of people to pay six dollars a month, but if I can get enough, then I'll continue until they shut Substack down and then I'm hoping Lee has a big house and a, and a big you know, a <laughs> to bring home yeah. um, with my two greyhounds, hands, my kids. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> so, um, well, and obviously for those watching, you obviously know about Mint Press News. We're a great <laughs> platform to be following as well. And we work with a lot of independent journalists. And I'm actually, um, in the past year and a half, uh, I have built another platform that is still kind of being built slowly but surely called Behind the Headlines. Uh, I've been working with uh, people like the Media Freedom Foundation, Project Censored, uh, former FBI whistleblower Colleen Rowley, human rights uh, mm-hmm. lawyer Todd Pierce. They're on our board. Um, I think I asked you, Chris Hedges, to be an advisor. I think you might have declined. <laughs> i don't, but... on boards
2: because then somebody takes some position that I.
0: I know, I
2: know.
0: I totally get that. that. So we've built we've built another platform that we are making 100 percent people funded. And that's where independent journalism has to be. I mean, we can't I mean, the fact that we have the most, you know, the most prestigious, the most brilliant most amazing, most talented journalists, you know, having to work at if you know, an international, you know, foreign governments funded <laughs> I'm like having our hard time explaining it, Foreign government-funded uh, outlet, so that they can have editorial freedom, it says a lot about the state of media in our country. Right. And so we have to take the power back in our right. hands. Right. So when
2: I covered, I, I knew Russell Havel. Yeah. I covered the revolution in Czechoslovakia. When, when you wanted to hear Havel, you'd turn on Voice of America, in Czechoslovakia. Right.
0: He
2: was no friend of U.S. imperialism. He was a socialist. Uh, but that was the only option he had and uh, you know for people like Lee and I and and others we've been really effectively marginalized I mean right. I and, and so that's why we were where we are and we'll keep doing what we do as long as we can
0: <laughs> absolutely and you know as we build this uh, video it's a video project uh, platform called Behind the Headlines and as we build that, um, you know, we hope that we set the example of what a truly anti-war watchdog journalism outlet is. And of course, the, the, you know, the biggest challenge with building a nonprofit is that you do have a board that is hopefully supposed to keep the organization in check. But like you said, Chris, the, the challenge is what if your board turns into like Democracy Now's board <laughs> <laughs> then you, or the nation's board or Mother Jones's board, then, then, you, then you've got a real problem because... Uh, the the organization as a whole could take a completely different turn right. no, but you know we're we're going to make sure that doesn't and turn
2: happen. around and destroy the very organizations they're supposed to oversee
0: that, that's absolutely correct um thank okay. you so much gentlemen yep. for joining me today and okay. thank you to all of our viewers and listeners who joined us and joined our super chat and for those who tipped us and donated very much appreciated from the bottom of my heart we're going to wrap this up for today um, you can follow both of their work. Uh, Lee, where can we find your work now?
1: Patreon.com slash Camp. I hope everyone will check it out.
0: Okay, and what about you, Chris? I'm still
2: on Sheer Post, and if we can – I'm still working with Substack. If I can set that up, then uh, I don't know how to do Substack. I guess Chris Hedges Substack or something, but it's not up yet. Uh,
0: okay, and we now, and we re- re- and we re- so, and we re- yeah. republish both of your work. So yep. people can also follow your work. And on that's true, yep. Absolutely. So very much appreciate your insight today. And thank you so much, everybody.